Welcome to today's study with Pastor Rick. Reaching thousands around the world by radio and online, Pastor Rick provides answers to the challenges of everyday living. Hi, this is Pastor Ricky Temple. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but I am having a great day and I pray it's beautiful where you are. We're going to step into the Word of God today and show you some principles that will help you unlock some truths in your life. It's always a joy for me to share the Word with you and I pray that it's practical and helpful. So sit back and enjoy today as we share a principle that will uplift your life and take you hopefully to a better place. Enjoy. Say, practicing blessable decision-making. Each month I take one word, and that word is the highlight word for the month. This is the month we talk about practicing. Your practices will tell a lot about how blessable you are. And specifically today, this sermon um, was shaped by an experience uh, because I had to make an important decision. And so the question is, how do you practice making blessable decisions? What do you do? Well, let me begin by saying next, next, next month, next week this time, um, I've been scheduled to go to Nigeria and uh, West Africa. And it had been scheduled months and months ago. And the, um, uh, this whole uproar that's happened uh, in the last several weeks in particular has been amazing. Um, it's a conference with thousands of people. Um, the, um, they've gone to great effort announcing my, my uh, arrival. And um, for the last uh, several couple of weeks in particular, my wife and I have had to pray hard about how we respond to this because of all that took place. So let me help set some of you at ease. I've written a letter I won't be attending, but it grieves me deeply. It grieves me deep, deeply, and, and I want to, if I can, take you on a journey and show you how I came to that decision. I thought it would be a great teaching moment for us as a church to understand. Let me press forward and show you how I came to this process. Look at Matthew 26 in your sermon notes. If you're, if you're home watching, you can download the sermon notes right there on your screen or either turn in your Bibles to Matthew 26, verse 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. Verse 39, Then he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. There are four facts I want you to notice about this encounter in Gethsemane that I think are important. Number one, notice that some decisions are made alone. This is one of the hardest moments recorded in Jesus' life. But notice where he is alone. And there are times when you're making decisions, you don't have anybody around you. And in my case, there were 10 people, about 10 people involved. The average age was between 70 and, and, and 89. Uh, I have a big um, uh, group of people that are older in my life. And I... But what's funny is, even though you have people in your life sometimes and they're helping you, you still feel alone. And there are times when you're making decisions, you still feel that way. And that's part of it. Secondly, notice that some decisions are emotionally draining. 
It is hard to make these decisions. And then sometimes you have to realize that's part of doing certain, doing big things, or being, being effective. You're going to have moments as a parent when it's hard. There are moments as a, as a husband or wife, it's hard. As a boss, it's not always easy. Thirdly, some, some decisions are hard to make, and you don't want to make them. If it's possible, Jesus said, let this cup pass from me. He's deeply depressed. He's by himself. He's feeling alone, even though the disciples are in the garden with him. But notice, he had to make the decision. Some decisions you must make that you normally wouldn't make. But there are moments in your life when you must make them. Not as I will. That's what guided me. Verse 39, Matthew 26. Not as I will, but as your, your will be done. I may want to go. I may want to do this. I may be obligated to do it. I may have made commitments to do it. But the question is, is this your will? And there's, there's that process you go through in your, in your mind and your emotions. When you have to back up for a moment and ask yourself that question. Now, please understand there are four things that were very true about this single decision. Jesus was going to make one decision, but be clear that this decision affected someone else. It's not just him. Secondly, it had a permanent long-term effect. Set up with me, please. Come on. It had a permanent long-term effect. And it's really important to understand when you're making decisions how the permanent long-term effect impacts everybody. Jesus, if he had said no to this, it would have had a permanent long-term effect. You wouldn't be saved. Thirdly, it changed the way he would be viewed forever. This decision would change the view, the way people viewed him. Everything would be changed. You would not call him Lord and Savior. You would not say, Jesus saved me. But it all was tied to one decision. You ever made one decision? Changed everything in your life? Changed all your options? Which brings me to the fourth thing. It changed the option of those he would leave behind. All of your options were greatly impacted by the choices of Jesus. All of your options can be affected by one choice. If I can just take a sidebar for a moment before I go any farther and say this. Some of you young people, you are making a real big mistake because you make all your decisions alone. There comes a moment in life when you have to pause, even when you feel as strongly as I do. I have very strong feelings. I have very strong, strong, strong feelings. And I have agonized for the last couple of weeks because of those feelings. But let me ask you a few questions. How will the future change if you don't make the right decision? No, you really should pause. Some of you are there right now. You're dating somebody. <laughs> and you know, you're just scared. You're scared this is the last train on the track. So you'll compromise because you don't want to be without a train in your life. How will your future change? How have you been impacted by the decisions of others? Your finances, your emotions, your options. 
I was doing my will this week. I was sitting there in my lawyer's office and my wife and I for about an hour and a half and going through the will and sorting out the details of what we would do and um, talking about all of you without a will, how tragic it's going to be for your family and how someone else would decide where your kids go and someone else would decide where your assets go and how much paperwork they have to fill out and how they have to go through all of your inventory of all your stuff, your socks, your underwear, and log them all and take all that to the court just because you have no will. But don't let that persuade you. But as we sat there and we talked through it, it was amazing. I said, my son is, um, and daughter-in-law planning on having a baby, and I thought, granddaddy is doing a good job right now, isn't he? Years from now, right years from now, my decision will impact his or her future. Think about what, what, what has happened in your life. Because granddaddy decided to drink, because granddaddy decided to chase women, because grandmama decided, because, because your brothers decided, because they decided to take you out with them and teach you how to do drugs, because they decided that. That was their decision. How have your, your decisions impacted the world around you? Your passionate decision to grab this person that couldn't tell you no force your will upon this person? How has that decision impacted their lives? At least you should pray for them. You can't go back and fix it, but at least you can say, I'm sorry and I won't do that again, at least. Here's what's happening right now. You're gone. You're there, aren't you? Thinking about your story. Come back with me for a moment, but it's easy to get caught up and run with your story because you said that is absolutely true. That is absolutely true. This is so right, Pastor Rick. You're right. The powerful impact of a decision and how it changed me, my view of myself, how have others been impacted by your decisions? Well, I'm going to show you two guys made a decision. And these two guys are, are, are pictures to me that really portray an incredible insight. I've talked about them before. One, his name is Naaman, and the other one is Gehazi. Say those names. Come on, say Naaman. Gehazi. Their story is in uh, 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 20. You can read it on your own. And it talks about, and it really starts in chapter 5, verse 1. But if you want to get the part I'm going to tell you about, it's about verse 20 is where it picks up in 2 Kings chapter 5. Naaman is this guy who is, um, he has leprosy. He's a leader of the Syrian army. He's incredibly successful. I love this guy because he's, He's made it despite his issues. I like that. He didn't allow his issues to stop him. Some of you, you get a little hurt toe and you just broke for life. You know, and you tell everybody, everybody you meet, you tell them your sad stories if they're interested, you know. And people put up with it because it's you, they're trying to be nice, you know. But let's be clear, everybody's got a story. You don't believe me. How many of you have a story, a sad story you could tell? Raise your hand. Put your hands up high. Let the person next to you see you. Okay, thank you. So we could have all day sad story day. But Naaman doesn't allow his sad story or his physical limitations to hinder him. Somehow the leprosy that he has, he's allowed still to have contact with people, but he's still a leper and he, he's married and he's, he's, he's made, it, he made the best up and he's risen to the top of the army. And so now Naaman, here's the story that told by a little girl that awakened something in him because he hears the guy who he couldn't do anything about his challenge. 
Sometimes you're cornered. There is nothing you can do about this now. But if you listen and put your ear to the ground, there'll come a moment when you hear, you hear something and you have to make a decision. You heard a story about a guy named um, um, Elijah who could possibly heal him. He'd never heard this before, not like this. And so now all of a sudden this guy is excited and he goes and gets permission from his king and permission from Israel's king and he goes to the door. And so fast forward in 2 Kings 5, he's standing at the door knocking. Imagine the emotion of that. You ever had a moment when you come to this great door with great expectation? You just, you just hope this is it. This is the guy. This is the job. This is the city. This is the move. This is the amount of money that would change my life. This is the raise I need. This is the car. This is the house. These are the children. I mean, you just, you're standing at that door with great expectations, and you have a fantasy in your mind. You know how it's going to be. That's why when you go down that aisle and you look down that aisle and you go, oh, this is the one. This is it. This is if I just marry her. Oh, if I just get him and those muscles wrapped around me, my life will be different. And now you say, what in the world happened? Standing at the door of expectation, looking for something, and it's not what you thought. Because when he came to the door and he knocked, Elijah didn't even come out. I mean, come on. I come this long way. I'm a man of... of of importance here, come out and at least greet me. He doesn't even come out. He sends some weasley guy to open the door, and the guy looks out and says, yeah, your name man? Well, go dip seven times in the Jordan River. He's not coming out, and you'll be fine. Bam. Well, this is horrible, so Naaman is furious. He is screaming, he's hollering, he's jumping. I mean, you know, and, and his guys are trying to calm him down. And it's, it, Now, you can imagine, think with me for a second, Elijah can hear this in the house. Now, you would think Elijah would hear all this ruckus and go outside and say, calm down. You know. But he didn't, even, he didn't even respond. Have you ever noticed that God doesn't get frustrated when you're frustrated? You're doing your spiritual war dance. I thought you said the Bible said I believed you. I did. And he just said, go ahead and get it out. Get it out. Because I'm not doing anything until you go do what I said. Dip seven times. He lets you have your fit. There are times I want to have a fit. God, I look, I'm a man of God. I pray. I do all this. He says, yes, but until you do this, you're not blessable. Until you put this in place, you're not going to receive my full best to you. See, the question is, can God get his best to you? Sometimes it's not possible. But here's what made this possible for Naaman. Standing at the door, frustrated, angry. His, he, listen, he made the decision to bring the right people with him. Ooh, it changes everything when you take the right crowd with you. So he's standing at the door, he's frustrated, the guy, he's calming him down, said, listen, if, you would, if he told you to go do something great, you would have done it. If he told you to go kill a lion, you would have done it, but you just go dip seven times. So he does, he gets healed, he makes the right decision, and everything now changes. All of a sudden now he's well. Think about what that journey of the home is like. Think about what his wife said when she first saw him. Think about the people who cried. I'm sure his wife cried. I'm a, let me tell you, it's nothing like seeing deliverance. It's nothing like seeing a, somebody that, was, that had an issue delivered from it. And so all of a sudden, he's free, he's going back home. He's, he's, and he's looking good, man. He's, he's in the chariot riding home, and all of a sudden, he hears this voice outside the chariot. It's Gehazi. Gehazi saw him walk off, but you see, remember, and backtrack a little bit, uh, Naaman came back and tried to give all the gold and silver he brought to Elijah, and Elijah told him, no, thank you. Sent him on his way with all the stuff. And so Gehazi, his servant, Elijah's servant, saw it and said, hey, hey, hey. So he chases down the chariot. 
And you can read all this in 2 Kings 5. He chases down the chariot. And when he gets there, he says, hey, uh, uh, my master changed his mind. And uh, he wants some of this and some of that and some of this and some of that. And so Gehazi takes it all and goes back home, drops it off at his house <laughs> and walks in. And Elijah said, where you been, Gehazi? He said, oh, nowhere. Lie, lie, pants on fire. 2 Kings 5, look at this, let me show you. In your notes, verse 27. Watch this now. Here's what it says. Name and sin, skin disease now will infect your, you and your family. Because you did this now, under number three in your notes there. Please note, Naaman's skin disease will now impact you and your family. With no relief in sight, the message Bible says. Have you ever noticed the connection between what you did and your family's issues? You drank and got drunk and now they get high and smoke and snort and all that. You don't see a connection? You don't see a connection between your anger and your frustration and what they are dealing with? Do you see that it's been passed down? Do you understand? You stole candy bars, they robbed banks. You don't see the difference? It's called stealing. All of a sudden now, the family is a victim of his choices. And I read this, I thought, okay, Temple, that's pretty tough. What about yourself? Throw yourself in this pot. I want to be honest for a moment and look at some of my past decisions. And I thought there were five of them that I made that would, were not perfect, but I thought they were fascinating. They would help you understand that I get it personally. Number one, here's a mistake I made. I did not always ask for help. Say that with me, please. Come on. I did not always ask for help. Sometimes you don't know what to do. You have to learn to ask for help. Number two, I assumed I knew because I prayed. You know, I'm going to take a, stage, a little sidestep here. Church people get on my nerves. Safe people get on my nerves. Let me, let me, let me give you an example of it. I, I was in a restaurant, and this guy was witnessing to the waitress. I might have told this before. And he was over-witnessing. She's trying to take his order, and she says, well, before you take my order, let me ask you, are you saved? Do you know Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior? I said, she just asked. Now, I'm at, the, I'm at the booth behind. I'm saying, she just asked for your order. And he's, he's preaching. Now he's, in, he's feeling good about himself, and he's getting on my saved nerves. And he proceeds to preach and proceeds to, and she's trying to get, because she's working and has other tables. And so he's just going on in his holy way. And I just looked at him with this disgusting look like, you see, that's why people don't want to be saved. It, people don't mind Christ. They just don't like Christians. I think it was Confucius who said he would be a Christian if he could find one. You know what I mean? If he could find one. If he could find somebody who really lived up to what they say, who was as passionate as they pretend. I question your salvation. I question your walk with God if it's not fleshed out in your life. If it's not fleshed out in your life, you love basketball, but you can't shoot. You never have dribbled a ball. You don't love the game. You never watch it. Be, pause for a moment and let's be really, really honest with ourselves. There are moments when it's, it, it's, it's more pretend. We assume we're so spiritual so we don't ask for help. We assume that once we pray, we get it right. 
And so you want to just, you know, act like everybody that's not saved is, is dumb. And you prayed and you don't need to ask anybody because you heard from God and you know, especially when you fall in love, especially when you made your pick. If you're not careful, you can assume just because you prayed. When I made this decision, I didn't, I prayed, but I asked. I've learned from the mistake of working alone. I've learned that I can't just pray. I need to ask people. I might have said this already, but the average age was between 70 and, and 89. Letting people talk to you. And don't start off with, I prayed, God spoke to me, so here's what I want to do. You can make some huge mistakes making decisions that way. Thirdly, I allowed my friends and colleagues to guide me when they shouldn't have. Sometimes they're right and sometimes they're wrong. You got, you got to weigh that out. Make sure that you got the right people talking to you like Naaman. Number five, I was more afraid of changing than the honest truth. Sometimes it's amazing how people are just afraid to change. That's the issue. You're going down a path, you don't want to get off the road. Now, we're going to do a part two to this on next week, but I want to start seven things to be sure of when making a good decision. Proverbs chapter three. I want to just give you three and we'll pick it up on next week. The first thing you want to do if you want to make a good decision is make sure you, you check the word. Proverbs 3 and 1 says, My son, do not forget my law. Let your heart keep my commands for length of days, look at that, and long life and peace they will add to you. Check the word. That's what I tried to do. I, I looked at this and I said, what does the word say? I can't make a decision by myself. I can't just think about me. I allowed myself to process this. Secondly, make sure you care. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Do you care? When you make decisions, if, you, if you're selfish, you don't care. You don't feel anything. I care. I care about the people that I want to go minister to around the world. I care. I care about you. Don't make decisions without caring. Having love and mercy in your heart. I'm going to take a sidestep for a second make a point on what you think about this. Whatever ethnicity you are, you're black, you're white, you're Asian, whatever you are, you should be proud of it. I had some friends that were here just the other day. They were from um, uh, the Loch, Scotland. And we spent a long time together. They're great people. Just met them, good people. And they're proud to be Scottish, and they should be. That strong Scottish brew. Strong. Um, I am an African-American. African. I think some of you that are African have forgotten you're African. A friend of mine from West Africa said to me, I said to him while I was processing this, I processed this with several of my African friends, so what we're experiencing now in West Africa, we've experienced around the world for years. I want you to pause. I want you to care. I want you to cry. Don't make decisions when you don't care. 
You're not worthy or qualified to contribute to the conversation if you don't care. If it's a joke to you, you have no right. But if you care, make sure you check the word. Make sure you care. Thirdly, make sure you see both sides, God and man. Say with me, say God and man. Verse 4 of Proverbs 3 says, and, and so find favor and high esteem in, in, in two places, in the sight of God and man. Don't just say God told me and, you know, and, and let it go. No, no. What do people feel? God and man. You have to make sure you weigh both. Here's what the Bible says in, in 1 Samuel 16. It says that men, God looks on the, in, on the heart. But here's this. Listen to this. Man looks on the outward appearance. How you handle business, how you respond to people, those things are... Are, are, have great impacts on how you are viewed by man and you live with men. So never say you don't care what people say. Never say you don't care how people feel. You impact people. And you should always care. And that's my sermon. Did you learn something? Come on, did you learn something? I hope you did. Well, life can be a journey. I pray what you heard today has helped you in your journey and you find some keys that can help you find the way to stay calm, cool and collected and trust your God through your circumstance. It's so easy to lose perspective, but God is faithful. My name is Pastor Ricky Temple. Thank you for being with us. You be blessed and stay focused. God bless. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's message from Pastor Ricky Temple. Watch more encouraging messages from Pastor Rick at www.rickytemple.tv. If you'd like a copy of this message, click on the bookstore tab at rickytemple.com where you can watch Pastor Rick live and get information about our ministry. Join us next time for another uplifting message.